Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Last couple of weeks, I've been drawn to the scripture in John chapter 8. I'm going to read just a couple of passages out of that. Um, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, the Jews who believed, we want to be believers, don't we? But we want to be more than that. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. That's not, abiding has a significant meaning. It means to dwell in. We become one with the word of God. It starts to empower us. It changes us. And that's our goal today is so that we receive that word of God. It becomes part of us and it changes us. We don't leave here the same. And that's when the miracles start to happen. He says this to the, his disciples. And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Did you know the truth itself doesn't make you free? It's the knowing of the truth that makes you free. Knowing means that you become intimate with it. It's like a man knows his wife to produce a child. You know the word, you produce life. That's how it works. So we need to abide in the word to become disciples so that we can know the word, so that we can become free. Jesus said, and if the son, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Were you aware that most Christians are not free at all? Most Christians are only free in a measure. But Jesus wants us to be free indeed. Completely free. Today's a day to get free. So that's what I'm going to share with you today. A message that started 21 years ago in my heart. And I I was telling some people yesterday that um, in these 21 years, even now, every single day, that I wake up every single day that I open my Bible, every single day that I, that I uh, um, go to my devotionals again, every single day God speaks to me, the Holy Spirit speaks to me about this message on forgiveness. I've called it the weapons from heaven. Every soldier should be equipped. But many of us aren't. Many of us aren't free either. We're in a prison of our own making. Just because of neglect or some other things, brokenness and discouragement and bitterness and unforgiveness, we are in a prison of our own making. Let's get free. Today, let's get free. The weapons of, of, of warfare that we receive from God are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is anything that keeps you from walking in freedom with Christ. So let's pull them down. Let's begin to pull them down. How many of you need a miracle this week? Wouldn't it be great? To walk out of here and begin to see the miracles happen this week. Well, my message starts. I don't have much time, you know. But my message starts. And by the way, there's going to be a tar- part two to this series. But if you want parts all the way up to part 12, you'll have to uh, subscribe to coming to our home group in about uh, <laughs> amen. About September, October. Okay, and We're going to limit the numbers to 100. Uh, well... No, Beth says, my wife Beth says, no, let's make it 20. (laughs) But um, we'll welcome you to come and hear more about this if you choose to do so. I want to start in Matthew chapter 16. Two two scriptures I'd like you to remember for next week. Matthew chapter 16, John chapter 20. Go home, start to read. Okay, Matthew chapter 16, John chapter 20. Let me start in Matthew chapter 16. Verse uh, 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do, you, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? By the way, I'm using this device that some of you may not even know what it is. <laughs> I have another device, and you know I have to charge that thing every day. This, I got this device 32 years ago. It came fully charged, and I opened it up this morning, still fully charged. Amen. Never, never charged it since the day I got it. And it's still fully powered. So Jesus is walking with his disciples. You know, they walked in those days. They didn't get in a van and travel around, you know, 13 guys in a, in a vehicle. They were walking. Okay, that was their mode of transportation. And he turns to his disciples. See, this is, a, this is what I call Jesus' boot camp. He picks these 12 men. And he says, I'm, now I'm going to teach you how to follow me. I'm going to teach you how to become disciples. Sometimes we've got this picture of Jesus with these disciples. We get it from, you know, pictures of the Last Supper. Where, you know, all the guys are like my age or Fred's age. <laughs> Why would Jesus, who's 30 years old, pick guys like me and Fred? To leave a ministry to. Right, Fred? Why would, he pick, why, why would he pick guys like us? But, you know, in, in the pictures, you see, they've all got beards, you know. If they had glasses in those days, they'd be wearing them. But um, I don't think that's the picture we need to see. Jesus is walking with his, his disciples. And I kind of have an idea that Peter was the oldest. He was the only one that's mentioned that is married. Didn't have any kids, as far as I know. Um, and I suspect Peter was probably about 20 years old. Why would Jesus pick old people to leave a legacy to? To release into the world with his anointing and his power. That he wanted some longevity in the ministry. I suspect Peter was probably the oldest. Because, you know, there was a time when they were, they were tempting Jesus saying, you know, do you pay a temple tax? And the temple tax, you know, for the Jews in those days was a half shekel per year. And everybody who turned 20 years old had to pay the temple tax. So they were arguing with Jesus about the temple tax, you know, trying to challenge him. So Jesus says to Peter, go throw a hook in the water, and the first fish you catch will have, it'll have a coin in his mouth, and come and pay the, te come pay the temple tax for you and for me. Right. Half shekel each. So Peter probably was 20 years old or a little, maybe a little older. But Jesus, being a responsible leader, would have also taken care of his other disciples. So I suspect none of them had to pay the temple tax, so they're probably under 20 years old. Okay, you young people, are you starting to feel better? I think Jesus called young people. And I think there's a precedent set in the Old Testament when Moses took the people out of, uh, he was the shepherd, he was the Jesus of the Old Testament, took them out of slavery in Egypt, brought them out into the wilderness. And did you know that none of those people, those adults who came out of the wilderness, none of them entered into the promised land? The next generation entered into the promised land. And I think Jesus probably would come and choose that generation to enter into the promises that he had for them. See, the, the religious people of that day, they did not care about Jesus. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. Can you hear them all shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That's the same thing they said to Moses in the wilderness. We don't want to follow this guy anymore. He's an old dude and he's probably outlived his years already. And we want a younger generation. So they couldn't get rid of Moses. So they all died in the wilderness. 
And in the new generation, those that were alive at the time of Jesus, it's the, new, it's the old generation that said, crucify him, crucify him. So why would Jesus pick the old generation, a bunch of religious people, to, to hand his mantle to? They didn't want his mantle. They wanted the law. They wanted the old way. So Jesus would have to take new, fresh minds. People that would just trust him and begin to walk with him. Not educated people. He took, you know, he took fishermen. Sometimes we think it's, it's so noble. He calls these fishermen and they leave their boat and, and, and followed him. I don't think it was that noble. I think they didn't like fishing at all. I suspect they didn't even like their dad's business. Man, they were glad to, get, to, to walk off. They didn't even say bye to dad. They just left. They didn't get his permission or anything. They never got a severance package. They just were glad to get out of fishing because, man, you smell like fish all the time. You can't even get a girlfriend. It's no wonder they weren't married. And then there's this other guy that Jesus called. This other guy that Jesus called. He said, I saw you over there standing under a tree. I saw you then. So he's he just loafing around. He's a bum. That's who Jesus called. And then there's this tax collector guy. You know, sometimes we think he's an old tax collector, you know, with pockets full of money. I suspect maybe he was an apprentice to a tax collector. Okay, he, he couldn't even, he couldn't even, uh, he was enemies with his friends. That's what tax collectors were. Even his friends were his enemies. And that's the guys who Jesus chose because they had guys with fresh minds that he could, in, he could impact with something that would carry on for generations. Okay, think about it. I'd take young guys. If I was picking a team, I'd pick young guys that I could give myself to. I think it's the new generation that Jesus chose. So here we are. They're walking down the road. Can you imagine just 13 guys walking down the road, kicking up dust and jostling each other, and putting their arms around each other? And, and he says to them, who do men say that I am? I'm, what's the word on the street, guys? That's what he was asking them. I want to know what's going on out there. So some, some said uh, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some others, others said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But the question is not, who do they say that I am? He says, who do you say that I am? The question today is not, who does your pastor say Jesus is? Who does your wife say Jesus is? Who does grandma say Jesus is? The question is, who do you say Jesus is? Because that's what's going to determine your life. That's going, what's going to determine if you're going to abide in him, become a disciple, get free, so that you can set others free. Who do you say Jesus is? And so if he asks the question, he's probably going to answer the question. That's how we do it, do it you know. Because we have an answer, we, so we ask a question so that we can look intelligent, giving an answer. He said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So you can't know who Jesus is till God reveals him to you. And we have many answers for who is Jesus. Well, you know, he's our savior. He's our provider. and He's a son of God. And he's, he's our healer. He's many things. But today I'm going to share with you what Jesus is first. And you need to know who he is first. The, the, most, the primary thing that Jesus is. But he said to Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. He said, you're blessed, Simon Peter. 
And the church, he didn't say the church was going to be built on Simon Peter. He was saying the church is going to be built on the revelation of who you see that I am. That's what the church is built on. Revelation. It's not built on a man. So he's, and you know, they didn't really understand. The disciples really didn't understand because it's going to be revealed later. They thought they understood, but they understood he was maybe the Messiah, but they didn't understand what he's going to teach them. So this whole passage is leading up to its boot camp on how to build the church. Because he said, if I will build my church, notice it's his church, not my church. It's his church. I will build my church, and even the powers of hell will not be able to stand against it when I build my church. If you build with me, you, the devil can't overcome you. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, we need to celebrate that. It's good news. So he said, I'm going to build the church on the rock of who, a revelation of who I am. He's, telling, he's showing them how we're going to progress to begin to build a church. By the way, the church means family. He said, I'm going to build my spiritual family. That's what the church is. So if you're part of the church, you're part of the spiritual family. And hopefully you're a disciple. And hopefully you're going to be set free so that you could really impact the world. And then there's this passage of scripture. This next verse. I, I, thought, this was, I thought this was in the Bible in the wrong place. But I liked it when I first saw it. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I thought that's good news. But it's in the wrong place. Until one day, the Lord revealed to me what it's referring to. He said, he's going to give me the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, um, you know, I've got a vehicle. If I give you my keys, you can just take off, can't you? Because you've got the keys. He said, I'm going to give you the keys. You want to take off? You want to go someplace in the kingdom? You need to have the keys. He said, I'll give you the keys because keys represent authority. I have keys for a post office box. And if I go there, I can open that box anytime I like, day or night, dark or light. I can even give it to my wife. She can go there too. Get all the bad news. <laughs> okay? Because she's got the authority. And what God wants you to have is authority. He's trying to teach the disciples that there is an authority they can have that will help them to build a church. That's going to set people free. That will build a family. So he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He says, whatever... You bind, will be bound in, on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose, will be loose. So when I first got this, well, we used to bind all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we'd bind devils and we'd bind, we'd bind everything we wanted to bind. Bind my mother-in-law, bind, you know, <laughs> bind your wife, bind your husband. You don't like them to, you know, do too much. Just bind, start binding. Because the Bible says, if you bind, I'll grieve from heaven and it will be bound. And if you loose, I'll grieve from heaven and it will be loose. So... You know, we, we were always a little short of cash, so we'd begin to lose money. I lose money into my bank account. I lose money into this. I lose. And the next day, I was still broke. <laughs> you know, the problem is this Bible doesn't work. This device is outdated. If you're short now, just go borrow something. We used to lose money all the time into our account, but it didn't help much. One day, I turned over to the book of John, chapter 20. And I began to find out what he was talking about, about binding and loosing. Turn with me to John chapter 20. Don't turn pages in that device you've got. 
It might work. John 20. Jesus had been crucified. Quite some way to end up, eh? Imagine these young guys that were following him for three years, seeing him do all these miracles, feed the multitudes, and cast out devils every place he went, preaching the word of God, seeing freedom happen in, in the lives of people. And they crucified him. Their leader was on the cross. And he died. And then he rose again. It says in verse 19 of John chapter 20, then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be to you. Now, just, just draw a picture for yourself. He'd been crucified. They'd seen him. Basically, they, they, uh, they were, they were uh, cruel to the point of death and beat him and scourged him and hung him on a cross and drove the nails in his hand, and he died there on the cross. Then they put him in a tomb. And so they're afraid because not only were the, the, the leaders, the Jews, against Jesus, they were against anybody who associated themselves with Jesus. So they, they were hiding. They were up in, an, in a room where they had the doors, the windows uh, uh, barred and doors locked and, uh, you know, talking in whispers, you know, I wonder what's going to happen to us now. And, and, and suddenly Jesus appears. How would you feel if you were one of those 20-year-old disciples about this time, or 18 years old, and suddenly Jesus appears. He comes through the wall, you know. <laughs> How would you feel? Oh, wow, glad you're here. Sure nice you showed up. Yeah. Last we saw you, you were getting a stone rolled in front of you. And he shows up. Man, they would be absolutely terrified because they were already full of fear about what was going to happen to them since they were identified as followers of Jesus. And so he just shows up, and he says this amazing thing, peace be with you. Sure. I was sort of inclined that way. I was, I was just feeling peace would come over me. I had a feeling. He says, peace be to you. They, I don't think they would believe their ears. Who is this? What is this apparition? Who's this ghost? And then he sa it says this. He says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They're beginning to get a hold of it. And then Jesus said to them a second time, peace, be to, peace to you. And if Jesus says something twice, listen up. He means it. It wasn't an accident. He wasn't quoting somebody else. He said, peace be to you. And then he said this amazing thing. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Can you imagine them listening to this from Jesus? Who had been crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. Now he's standing in front of them. They'd seen all those things happen to him. And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. We better call Mama quick. Because we're not coming home. Go over to the tomb. That's where we'll be. They thought they were going to get persecuted and beaten and crucified and dead and buried. I imagine that's all they were thinking about that time. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So the question I have to ask you, why did the Father send Jesus to the earth? Okay, it's revealed in the book of Luke when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, I forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. Jesus was sent to the world 
to forgive people so that they could be reconciled to God. That's why he was sent. That's the purpose. Don't, don't worry about the cross. Don't worry, say that he had to go to the cross. He did go to the cross, but he was sent to save the world from their separation from God. That's why he was sent. When he said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's exactly why you're here today. That's why you're a, a believer, a follower of Christ, a disciple. In your progression of your walk with Jesus, ultimately he has sent you here to do exactly what he did. And that is to forgive people their sins. That's what the Bible says. But we say nobody can forgive sins but Jesus. Let's hear what he says. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is when the first people were ever born again. Because till now, Jesus had not paid the sacrifice so that people could believe and be born again. So now, he breathed on them. That breath was the breath that Adam and Eve lost. That day, they sinned in the garden. And the breath left them. God said, you'll die. And their breath left them. The spiritual breath left them. And from that point till this time, they had no breath in them that God had put in them in the Garden of Eden when he created them to have fellowship with him. Jesus breathed on them, and they got born again. That day when they got born again, they received an t- amazing gift from God. Yes. It's called the gift of forgiveness. And every person who's born again has it. Whether you use it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you're apathetic about it or not, whether you disbelieve it or not, you have the gift in you. Because you cannot receive Christ without receiving who he is. And the number one thing that Christ is, is a forgiver. Above everything else, you can't even enter into a relationship with him without having received the forgiveness. He's a forgiver. That's a way into the kingdom. And that's the way to function as people of the kingdom. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. He said, and then he says, listen to this statement. Jesus said this. I never wrote this. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Isn't that a powerful gift? That, my friends, is the key to the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you forgive, I'm agreeing from heaven and they will be loosed from their sins. Because of you. Because I trust you. Forgiveness is done by faith in what the scripture says. The truth of the scripture. And God has called each of us to take up this mantle that, that, that was poured out on us. The gift of forgiveness that was given to us. So that we can begin to forgive people. You can turn to the person next to you and say I forgive you right now. It works by faith. Because when Jesus was on the cross that day, he said, by faith, I forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. He said it by faith. And even now, some 2,000 years ago, that forgiveness has traveled down down the the, uh, years of time and it has flowed into our lives. By faith. So when somebody sins against you, don't take up an issue with them. Just forgive them. If somebody has abused you, just forgive them. If somebody has criticized you, just forgive them. Because if you don't, you're going to develop a spirit of bitterness in your life. 
and unforgiveness. Like Pastor Corey said last, last week, he said unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. That's what unforgiveness is like. And we need to get free from all the things that have put us in prison. If you have something against somebody and have heard this message and don't forgive them, you're in prison. Of your own making, of your own choosing. Not only that, you put them, kept them in prison too. That's how powerful it is. Now just to sort of wrap this whole thing up, I want to refer to a passage in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is preaching. Preaching to the Pharisees and scribes and he's telling them all about Jesus. They did not want to hear about Jesus. They didn't want to hear about forgiveness. They didn't want to hear that he was a gift that God sent for them. That, the, that he, it supersedes the law. Now it's greater than the law. It's a life changing thing in your heart. And he's preaching to them. And they got so angry. The Bible says they gnashed their teeth. Okay, somebody in your family ever do that? They gnashed, they grind their teeth. They're so angry they just grind their teeth. That's how angry they were. They're so angry. They, they couldn't stand it anymore. So they began to find rocks because what, they couldn't kill them on the cross, so now they're going to kill them with stones. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, uh, keep Jesus on the cross, but now they're going to kill Stephen with stones. They're going to try another method. And in the back of the crowd, there's a tall man called Saul. And he was giving agreement to them. Come on, guys. And he was holding their coats. He said, come on, you can throw better without a coat on. Get those big sharp stones. You know, uh, they never stoned anybody just to wound them. Or just to hurt them. They stoned them to kill them. Okay, that's why they stoned them. And so he was encouraging them. Come on, come on. And they stoned Stephen. And, and while, while they were stoning him, he looks up. And the heavens open up to him, and he sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing at the, at the right hand of God. You know, when the Bible says when Jesus went to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God. That's a place of authority. Seated. But when, when Stephen was preaching, he was preaching about Jesus the forgiver. You know what happened? Jesus could not stay on the throne. He had to stand up. Okay, when you're, at a, when you're uh, watching a football game or, or, or a, a game of your choosing, and when your team starts to go and score, you know, you, you can't stay in your seat. You stand up. You spill your drink all over the guy next in front of you. But Jesus is standing up, and he's cheering. He's, I can just hear Jesus saying, he's got it. He's got it. That's the message. I, the last words I preached from the cross, my last message, the first message in the church is forgiveness. And so he's pouring, he's, he's pouring his life out. Yes, yes, he's anointing him. And, and Stephen died that day. And he, as he was dying, he says, Father, don't hold this against them. In other words, I forgive them. Like my leader, Jesus, did, I forgive them. That, uh, that was an amazing thing. That was a weapon that God used against the devil to defeat the devil on the cross. That's the same weapon that God used to, feat, to defeat the devil today. A few days later, this Saul, who is agreeing to their stoning, he, he, he's, he's uh, going off to Damascus, and suddenly a light appeared from heaven. That day when Stephen was being stoned, he, the, the, the words that came out of him, forgiveness, came like an arrow and went right into the heart of Saul. The one who was persecuting Christians, killing Christians, imprisoning women and children. And that day, 
when a light appeared from heaven, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, what happens when you forgive somebody who sinned against you or sinned against somebody else, when you forgive them, doesn't mean to say you trust him, but you forgive them because you're obedient to the scripture that Jesus says that the Father sent me, I'm sending you. When you do that, it breaks down a wall of resistance against the Holy Spirit. It pulls the wall down and the light begins to flood in. That's what happened with, with uh, Saul on the road to Damascus that day. And that was a change of his life. Became the mo- probably the most powerful f- figure in the New Testament. We're still reading his words. With a change that happened in him. Because Stephen dared to forgive him. Now listen, my friends, you may have neighbors, you may have friends and neighbors, people who are not serving God at all, people who are harsh against God, people who hate the church, people who hate you. What would happen if God called you to forgive that person for their sin, for their sin against you, their sin against, uh, uh, you know, the public, for their sin against Christ? What would happen if you would forgive that person and the wall would come down and suddenly the Holy Spirit would be illuminated in their heart and they would turn their life over to Christ? Maybe that's the next Paul in your, on your street. Are you willing to just risk forgiving somebody? You know, they all deserve it. it the only people that deserve forgiveness is those who are guilty. The ones who are guilty. It's the only people. So we're all guilty, so we all deserve it. Right? So why don't we begin to do what Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. If you forgive the sins of any, you forgive the sins of any. Now, as I'm preaching here, the Holy Spirit may be bringing people to your mind that have abused you. Maybe somebody's already dead. You know, you, you have to forgive that person. They may be already in the grave if somebody has abused you. But I see it so that you can become free. You can't do anything for them, but you can become free. And if you don't free them, if you don't forgive them, you may have bitterness in your heart that will take you to the grave. It'll cripple you and make you ineffective in building the family of God and, and, and it will ultimately destroy you. Let's get free today. Let's believe God for freedom today. Let's believe God for a miracle today. Can you do that with me? Before you leave this place, or during the week when, so, when somebody comes to your mind, somebody that you, you're angry against or um, that's irritated you all your life, just speak out their name and say, I forgive them. And let's see what God will do. I want to hear some testimonies of what God is doing in your life as you begin to forgive. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, today. For your amazing grace. How sweet it is, Lord, to your ears when we forgive somebody. It must cause you to rise up off your throne like it did when when Stephen forgave. How it must bring you joy to your heart that we have got the message that you taught your first disciples. As you took them down that road and said, I'll build my church. I'll build it on the revelation of who I am. When you get that revelation and you use the keys I give you, something is going to change the powers of God will be released and unleashed against the enemy and they'll be released for you to walk with authority on this earth. And so we thank you, my almighty God, our Father, for what you're doing today, the miracles you'll release today in the lives of people in this city, 
And in all the places where we go, Lord, I want to thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.